Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Fellowship Podcast. We hope this message will inspire, challenge, and encourage you to grow closer to Christ. If you're in the Anchorage area, we invite you to be our guest during our morning Sunday worship service at 11 a.m. For directions, or if you would like more information about us, please visit akmaranatha.com. Yeah, I want to talk uh, this morning about being defined by the cross. That um, What is it that defines us? How many uh, times, um, I notice how many times the cross is mentioned in the scripture, and uh, we are going to be defined by something. Do you know that? By our Americanness, uh, we may be defined by our skin or our language or our culture. And I wonder as Christians um, if uh, there's something that defines us even more than that. And and I think we know the answer to that. It's, uh, we're defined by the cross of Christ. How many times the cross of Christ is mentioned in Scripture is, um, includes like the, the cross itself and all the references to crucifixion. The cross is mentioned 31 times. There's a couple times in there where the word cross means they went across the sea or something like that. But there's 31 times that it references crucifixion. And a few of those are connected with discipleship, which maybe we could talk about at the end. And then all forms of crucify happen about 40 times. So 70, approximately 70 times in the New Testament, it talks about the cross. And then there's other references that don't use the language. And I can't, I can't number what those are, but there's, there's many. And we know that all of our Christian life really ties back to the cross. So this is the, the central feature is the cross and the resurrection of Christ to not only history, uh, maybe I should say it this way, not only our lives, but all of history is is centered upon the cross. It's the central feature of preaching the good news. It's also central to discipleship. I don't know if you've thought about this. Uh, it's because the cross makes statements about God, the world, and you and me. Um, and there is no good news without the cross of Christ. So what, is, what does the cross mean? It's, it's shorthand for the saving work of Christ. It's a symbol that uh, that covers a whole lot of things. And I brought this. We've, we're still kind of getting over the Peru trip, and uh, some of us are still thinking about it a little bit every day. And we're reflecting on the good times and all the difficult times, which some of that had to do with packing and trying to get stuff in bags. And if you've ever traveled internationally, you know that struggle. Anybody know, like, if I just had one more square inch, I think I could zip this. Okay, and that was that was my struggle. Literally one day, Zach, I was not feeling good, and it was hot, and I was like at the end of my rope, and Zach graciously zipped my bag up for me. He pushed everything in and zipped it up. But one of the things that's really cool is um, space-saving features, right? You have space-saving features and things like compression bags and, and different things. And um, Kiki found these. Anybody seen these before? Looks like a little hockey puck. Okay. And uh, what this is, you're not going to believe this, or maybe you will. If you're if you were on the Peru trip, you already know that. This is a towel. Did you know that? Okay, so you put this in water a little bit, and it begins to expand. And uh, I'm going to set this down for a moment, and so we will go silent, and then I'm going to unfold this for you and show you what it looks like. I wanted to point out with this is that in a, a small capsule, a lot of times you can contain a whole lot of things. And when I'm thinking about uh, the the way that the New Testament uses the cross of Christ, it's it's kind of a capsulized form, but it says so much. The cross says so much. Even the statement, uh, the two words, the cross, has a whole lot that's packed into it. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. The cross as a symbol um, can never be allowed to be depersonalized from the Savior or the sacrifice of Christ. And so what I mean by that is uh, it's just a short way of saying a lot. If we, we all have in mind the same thing when we talk about the cross, and I hope we will, because really the cross is a picture of reconciliation for us and so much more, uh, then we can, we can come to an understanding about what this means. But I don't trust that the world does that. When you talk about a cross with the world, unless you expand upon it, a lot of times there's things that are missed. Many people, they wear crosses, they have them tattooed on their bodies, and they make the sign of the cross, but they're not trusting Jesus. 
The symbol has been emptied of its meaning. And when that happens, it can just become something sentimental. You know, when we, we talk about the cross, we can have uh, emotions about the cross, but it's really not the same thing as the saving effect. Do you know that there have been people that have been saved unemotionally? I don't know if you've thought about this, but for them, it was a decision to begin to follow Christ and trust Him. And at that moment, they weren't flooded with an overwhelming sense of emotion. But there was still a supernatural transaction that took place there that transformed their lives. And so there is, we ought to be emotional about the cross. But if at that moment it doesn't happen in an emotional way, let's understand that this is an objective fact. The cross, when we put our trust in Jesus, will change our lives. It's not an emotional thing. You might, it might be emotional, but it's not, that's not what gives it its power. You understand the power comes from the fact that God has accomplished something in sending Jesus to the cross and raising him from the dead. Okay? So for some people, they get emotional about the cross, but they don't really live for Jesus. And those two things are not the same thing. Okay? If it becomes something like a charm, then the, the symbol has lost its meaning, okay? A, a shape like, like a cross is not intended to bring us good luck by carrying or displaying it in some way, okay? For one thing, you, you realize that a lot of people carry a cross because they think it'll bring them good luck or ward off demons, okay? Do you, you know that? But for the original people, because you know Jesus wasn't the only one that was ever crucified. Does everybody know that? For all those people, the cross was not good luck, it was the opposite of that. And so to see it as a good luck charm in some way to ward off demons or um, to, to somehow bring us success in life, uh, it's not, that empties the cross of its meaning. The Romans didn't even like to talk about a cross in polite company. It's not good luck. And this is what happens when true spirituality is emptied out and then you have only the container. The cross that we're talking about not only has meaning because of who died on it, but it, will help, it won't help you unless you believe in the Savior. So when we talk about it, we're talking about reconciliation, and that was established through the death of Christ. There are grounds for God forgiving us and welcoming us into the family. It's not Him saying, as I mentioned a few moments ago, just saying your sin isn't that big a deal. It's not. The cross says something different than that. It says your sin was a big deal, and so big of a deal, as a matter of fact, that I had to come take care of it myself. Okay, so it's, there's grounds for reconciliation, and it's not just whether I feel forgiven or not. Folks, I, I've been pastoring for almost 30 years now, and one of the huge stumbling blocks to spirituality is that we base our relationship with God more on how we feel than on the truth of Scripture. And so many people don't feel forgiven and they don't realize it doesn't matter whether you feel forgiven or not. What matters is that God said, I've forgiven you in the cross. And so we, we have to get past how we feel being the defining factor in our spiritual lives. It's wonderful when feelings and facts line up. And that's the way it should be. But we live in a very confused world. And we're dealing with complex psychology in ourselves that we don't always feel what we should feel. Right? But you know there's times when you should be excited and you're not, and times when you should be sad and you're not, times when you should cry and you don't, times when you should, you know, brave and you're not. It's the opposite of that. And so we don't always feel the way that we should, but truth is still truth regardless of that. So we want to define our lives by the cross, okay? His, uh, his death on it or the grounds, which is the... It's the historical death of God's Son on a tree. He shared our humanity and He died as a substitute for us. I want to talk about ways we're defined by the cross. Um, and we, we talk about being defined by certain things. Maybe we should define the word defined, shouldn't we? Then we can understand it better because what does it mean to be defined by something? It means to make an exact statement on the nature of someone or something. So applying that to us if we're defined by the cross, then the cross makes an exact statement about our nature. Okay. Are you with me? Okay, so the first thing that it, it does when we're defined by the cross is it, it defines us as guilty. 
Now, you're not going to probably like this at first, but, but hear me out. We are, we are judged by the cross. Okay? I don't know if you thought about this because we tend to think of all the positive aspects, but the first thing that needs to happen is that the cross is our judgment. If, you'd, if you've not seen that in Scripture, um, think about what Jesus says in John twelve thirty one. It's in the context of the upper room. He's talking to his disciples about his impending crucifixion. It's getting ready to happen, and he says some really big things that just kind of fly over their head. But one of the things he says is, now is the time for judgment on this world, and now the prince of this world has been driven out. He's talking about the crucifixion, and he says, this is judgment upon the world. When Christ died on the cross, when he was taken to the cross, it was an indictment of this world. And unless, um, maybe so that this doesn't escape us through abstraction, it's an indictment on you and me. Okay? Not the world. Sometimes we tend to say, well, the world, as if somebody else out there has all the problems and they're responsible for our situation. No, we're participants in this. And so the cross is an indictment upon us. You might feel uncomfortable with that, but let me explain. It's an indictment on our sin. It shows us that we're guilty of sin. If there'd been no sin, there would not be a need for Christ to go to the cross. Do you agree? Does that sound logic? If there's no sin, there's no need for Christ to go to the cross. Because he went to the cross, it indicates for us that there was a sin necessary, a guilt that was necessary to be covered by the cross. If we'd not been guilty, uh, we would not have crucified the rightful Lord. It indicts us as rebels. You say, well, I wasn't there and I didn't crucify him. Well, in principle, you and I did crucify him because we're guilty of being rebels in a similar way. We share the rebel attitude, right? That, and how do we do that? We think this is our world. We think we can live however we want to. We think we can do what we want to do. We think that we can neglect God's laws and his commands and his directives, his revelation of himself. We think we can push him to the margins. That, the, that sin has a name. It's called ungodliness. Ungodliness is not wickedness. Ungodliness is pushing God to the margins and saying, you don't really matter. Or not even saying it, living that way. As if God doesn't matter. And so we're all guilty of trying to uh, usurp his authority and make this our world. It's not our world. It's God's world. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The earth and everything in it, it all belongs to him. Okay, And we are stewards in this world, but it's not our world. It's his world. And so we're guilty in principle. It's like Jesus telling the parable of how uh, the, the Lord of the vineyard appointed certain people to care for the vineyard. And they, they decided that it's their vineyard now. And they cast all the people out that are coming to tell them. No, this is still the landowner's vineyard. And finally, he sends his son, and they crucify the son as well. They kill the son and cast him out, thinking, now we can really have this. We're part in in principle of that same rebellion. In Romans 3.22, we may have this on the screen, uh, Romans 3.22 through 26, this righteousness is given through faith in Christ, Paul describes. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this, listen to this, to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance, He had left sins previously committed unpunished. Do you know that there was a time, for a period of time, there were sins that piled up? Um, by the way, the Bible never sees time healing all things. Do you know that? That time does not heal sin. It does not heal guilt. It has to be covered. And it's covered in Jesus. And so, yes, time went on, but God was leaving those unpunished, knowing what he was going to accomplish in Christ. Paul says this when he's talking to the Athenians on the Areopagus. He says that God overlooked such sins in the past, but now he's demanding that people everywhere repent and turn to him in faith because he sent his son who was killed on a cross and was raised from the dead. And that's who he was proclaiming there that day. But God demonstrates his righteousness now, verse 26 of that present time. 
So he is just and the one who justifies those who have faith in him. The cross, the first thing it defines us as is guilty and may be best to define ourselves as those who were guilty in case uh, that bothers you a little bit. Those who were guilty. In a sense, we need to understand that God has taken that guilt away if we're trusting in Christ. But we were the guilty, and it defines us as those who passed and passed were guilty. In 1 Corinthians 6, uh, Paul is talking about different people who ha- uh, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he mentions several categories of people. And, and we like to put really heinous sins at the top of that list. But he also talks about slanders. Did you know that? <laughs> they also will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he comes to the end of the list. And some of them you'll recognize as really bad sins and some of them lesser so. And then he says this, such were some of you. Okay, so we've been washed. We've been sanctified. We've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so we were guilty, and the cross declares us as guilty. Jesus was not there taking his own punishment. Remember Galatians chapter 3 when it says there that uh, he who knew no sin became sin for us. That's 2 Corinthians, sorry. It says that he took our curse because it says cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He took our curse to the cross. So it declares us as guilty. The second thing it does, and we're thankful for that, we're hinting at it already, is that the cross defines us as justified. What does that mean? We are, we are justified by the cross. It means that God has declared us righteous by faith, not because we've performed some works, but he's declared us righteous. And I think that there's a process here, and we need to understand the order, is that the first thing God does is by faith declares us righteous, and then through the walking with the Holy Spirit, he makes us into righteous acting people. Okay? So there's a process. The first, he doesn't say, hey, get your stuff together and start living right, and as if we're in some kind of behavioral reformative program, and uh, I'll meet you at the end of this. No, he grants us what we could never do on our own. He grants us the help we need. He gives us the ability to live righteous lives. He, first of all, declares us right, which means that we stand in his righteousness, not our own. And then, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he helps us to walk in righteous ways. That's good news, because we're not just declared right. I'll talk more about this in a moment, I think. We're not just declared righteous, but we can become righteous in our living as well. Colossians 2.13 is an example of this. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled, listen, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken away, nailing it to the cross. Okay, Do you get the picture here? What you can see from Colossians 1 is the picture of some kind of legal decree being nailed to the cross. But what we see in the Gospels is Jesus nailed to the cross. And if we superimpose those images, we understand that he, like it says in Second Corinthians, who knew no sin became sin for us. He took upon himself the legal indebtedness that we owed. Come on, isn't that kind of powerful? Because a lot of Christians are still carrying their baggage, like, they didn't have it covered at the cross. Something's wrong with that, isn't there? I mean, we, we can all do it at any time. Like, we remember what a scoundrel or how surly we were back in the day. You know, people didn't like us and remember all the things we did, and we shudder with it and shame. But it's one thing to be ashamed of how we were. It's another thing to continue to carry the guilt or the shame of that as if that's who we now are. In light of the cross, there's been a forgiveness, and that payment, that punishment has been placed upon him. I already read Romans 3, but it says, you were justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Okay, and and we, we read a greater portion of that a moment ago. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, do you not know that all wrongdoers will in, not inherit the kingdom of God? This is that passage It says that uh, at the end of this is that some of you are like that, but you've been washed, sanctified, and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God. And that's what we can be. 
okay? So let's lean into this and realize the cross defines us, not our past, not what other people say about us. They might call you hypocritical, like you, you messed up, okay? The Bible knows that we're going to, and God knows we're going to mess up, and he said that we can confess our sins. You remember where that's found, anybody? Go ahead and say it out loud if you know. First John. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Do you know First John is written to believers? And so this is a reminder to believers that, like, you don't, you're not going to live in this sinless perfection all the time, probably. And so when you fail, you can come and you can um, be forgiven of your sins and cleansed from all unrighteousness. A restorative measure is put in place for you and me. Thank God for that. So he defines us as guilty, and then he defines us as just, justified. Okay, Those two are standing kind of opposition to each other, don't they? It's as if the judge has said, looks like your debt has been paid, and I'm declaring you free to go. Not only that, that would be a limitation on what we really have. It's as if the judge says, and now that you're free, you get to be a part of my family. Okay, wonderful. The third thing that happens here and how we're defined by the cross is that we're defined as liberated or freed. Okay? We're not in bondage the way we once were. You might, and, and people have tried to make this case, is that you're trading one bondage for another, like you've got to obey God. Is obeying God, can that really be described as bondage? I think if we're, we're honest about it, we've never known true freedom until we've known our freedom in God, until we've obeyed him from a pure heart. But we are liberated by the cross, set free from our past life, set free from sin, set free from uh, a couple of things I'm going to enumerate here in just a moment. But we're not only set free from, but we're set free to. Romans 6, verses 6 and 7 says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. You don't have to be a slave to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. I think this is the principle that often we miss in modern Christianity, is that coming to Jesus is a death. It is. And this is the reason we struggle with hanging on to our old life, is we still feel like that person's alive. We still think of that person as alive. We still think of all that old baggage is still alive, all the the psychological junk that we had in the past, that that's still us. It's not. You've been liberated in Christ. You've been liberated and set free from the old self by dying with Christ. That doesn't mean we don't have to struggle with old habits. We still have to, but there's a freedom. We still have to persist in doing good. But there's a freedom where God has said, this is true of you. You're not that person anymore by the power of God living in you. Okay, That's freedom. And... Romans 6 declares that anyone who's died is free from sin. Let me mention uh, five things here that you become free from because of the cross. Okay, number one is the law. Galatians 5 talks about that, that you supersede the law in your living by allowing the Spirit to guide you and live through you. If you keep in step with the Spirit, you're not, you'll not have to be under law because the Spirit will outperform our attempts to live by law. Isn't that true? Anybody ever... Um, seen how in the Old Testament, many of the commands are put in a negative light, like don't do this. It's a, it's a logical negative. It's not bad, but the logical negative means that it's a don't do. Okay, Often it's like that. But the Spirit of God elevates the Christian life to a different level where what God calls us to is the do do. Make sure you put a comma in there, right? A little space. You got to have room to understand that what God wants is for us to do. A lot of people will say Jesus taught the same ethics as every other religion. And every other religion has this golden rule that says, don't do unto others what you wouldn't have done to you. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says the positive form of that is, do unto others what you would have them do. It pushes us into action. It turns a negative to a positive. It transforms our life into thinking with our imagination, what would be a blessing to that other person, and then doing that, okay? It takes love to a new level. The, the old way 
a lot of people could just stand back and say, I'm not going to touch that dead person or that person that's fallen by the, the wayside. I'm thinking of the story of the Good Samaritan. And the priest walks and steps onto the other side. And in many ways, he could be seen as observing the law. Okay, but is that the law of love? No. Jesus says as much. The law of love is the Samaritan going over to that Jewish man that's been beat up by thieves and helping him out. See, the passive side, the negative side would say, don't do this, don't do that. But the law of love compels us to do things we wouldn't do. So there is a sense in which we're free from the law, but but God compels us to live better than it. Okay, I've gotten a little bit uh, wordy there, but the second thing is sin, that we are free from sin. Let no one say, I have to sin after they come to Jesus. We don't have to. We can choose to. We may still be working through some of the process of sanctification, but to say that I have to sin goes against this scripture. This, this, in Romans 6, it tells us that if we've died with Christ, we are free from sin. That You don't have to sin in the continual same ways. Okay? There is a process of sanctification. Nobody here, I think, is expecting you to be 100% perfect the first day. You give your life to Jesus, and you better have it all together, man. Not like that. We understand there's a process of growth that needs to take place. But do you understand that that's, that's different than saying, or that's the understanding that we can have along with the idea that we are free to live for God the way that he would have us to. Romans 8 says that we're, we're free from the flesh. Through the Spirit, we can put to death the misdeeds of the body. Okay, We are free. Our flesh does not have to dominate us. That's desires. That's wrong attitudes and wrong thinking. The flesh is uh, another short-form word, like our little capsule here, that it encapsulates a whole bunch. Okay? We don't have to be under control of our feelings. Come on, isn't that true? You don't have to be in bondage to how you feel anymore. I just couldn't help it because that's how I felt. No, tell those feelings that Jesus is Lord now and that we're not under the bondage of the flesh anymore. We're putting to death that flesh, and we're going to live for God in the freedom that he's given us. You can live better than you feel. Thank God. Sometimes we don't feel like coming to church. You might not feel like it right now. And you're demonstrating the very fact that you're overcoming flesh. And Jesus is Lord in that situation because he wants you to come to church. All right. And then um, over the world, Galatians chapter 6, I think Gary and I were talking a moment ago. He might have just mentioned this verse to me, Galatians 6.14, that in Christ I am crucified to the world and the world is crucified to me. There's a freedom. The world doesn't have to control you anymore, not its opinions, not its thoughts, not its morals and its ethics, not its way of thinking. That doesn't have to control you anymore. You're under a new regime in Christ. Okay? We don't have to fit in with the world. In fact, if you're in Christ, the Bible says you're going to look odd. You're going to look odd. We better get used to it because if you live by the ethics of the kingdom, if you live by the principles and the priorities of the kingdom, it's going to look different than this world. And so we should recognize that in this world we're aliens and strangers like our like the patriarchs and others uh, were. So we're free to take a different stand. And Jesus says, if the world hated me, they'll hate you also because you're followers of mine. And then the fifth thing is spiritual powers. We don't have to be under control of the spiritual powers anymore. No Christian should ever say the devil made me do it because the devil can't make you do anything. Nor demons can make you do anything. When they have control in our life, it's because we've yielded that power in some way. Okay, And when you're in Christ, then what it says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, is that he's, he's canceled the powers as well. Not only did he cancel the written code, but he's also, he's also demonstrated his victories over the powers of darkness, triumphing over them in the cross, and he stripped their weapons from them. Okay? Jesus said that I've, I'm casting out the God of this world. And so does that mean that the enemy is going to pack it all in and go on vacation? Like live in Tahiti or something? Nobody go to Tahiti. The devil's there on vacation. 
Uh, he's not. He's going to fight, but he's an enemy without teeth. Okay. In terms of his power over us, he doesn't have any power over us unless we yield it. Come on. I believe in the fact that Christ has canceled. When you come to him, you've come. You've Christ has taken the curse upon himself, and he's placed you under his watchful eye. The enemy can still tempt. The enemy can still try to work on you. He can still oppress and and harass you. He can still at times hinder, but he cannot control you unless you yield to him. I think there's freedom to know that, that he's given you freedom over spiritual powers. Freedom in the biblical sense is never just freedom from. That's something that we have come up with in our Western mindset, that freedom is freedom from all oppressive powers to do whatever I want. But biblical freedom is not just freedom from, it's freedom to. It's freedom to now serve God the way that we should. It's free to, we're free now to live in light of God's law. We're free now to um, be fully devoted to the Lord and not to be under the bondage of all of those other things. We can, we can willfully choose to serve him. So the cross defines us as liberated and freed. Man, tell yourself that. Isn't that wonderful news? Fourth is the cross declares us or defines us as reconciled. We are reconciled by the cross. Okay, just to catch us up here, it defines us as guilty and then as justified. It defines us as liberated and now as reconciled. Okay, we are reconciled by the cross. Anybody um, else besides me when you were growing up used to sing the song, Lift Jesus Higher? Okay, anybody remember lift Jesus higher, lift Jesus higher, lift him up for the world to see? He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. And I didn't realize this until later, that essentially when Jesus <laughs> says that I must be lifted up, he's talking about crucifixion. It tells us there in John 12 that that's what he's talking uh, So essentially what we were singing is crucify Jesus, crucify Jesus. If I be crucified, I will draw men unto me. Because that's what he's talking about there. So maybe we shouldn't sing that song anymore. But in uh, John 12, he says, When I am lifted up, verse 32, from the earth, I will draw all people unto myself. He said this to show what kind of death he would die. The cross is a kind of lifting up and putting on display the person being crucified. And Jesus sees this as a wonderful attraction to the world, that they will come to the crucified Lord. For many, it was a stumbling block. For some, it was foolishness. But there's a beauty in the cross that matches its ugliness. It draws people. That God himself would come down and allow himself to be crucified for us. There's a love in that. Self-giving. And he did it to draw people to himself, to restore relationship. Second Corinthians 5.19 says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. In Christ, Paul is saying that God has reconciled the world to himself. In Christ, he's He's brought people into right relationship with them. Reconciliation is when two parties that are at odds or in disagreement or at war are brought back together in peace and can enjoy real unity. Okay. This can happen in Jesus because, uh, as classic theology says, he's fully God and he's fully man. And he bears, he bears that in his nature. That's a difficult concept. But I want you to understand that he's fully God, and as fully God, he can represent God to humanity like nobody else. Okay, As fully God, he can act in a prophetic role, and he can speak to us from that role. But as fully man, you understand that he can work from the priestly role where he's approaching God. And so he stands, in Paul's uh, words, as the one mediator between God and man. He's the only one that could do it. I've heard people say anyone who was sinless could have died on the cross for a sin. No, that's blasphemy. Nobody could have done it except for Jesus, who in his nature is fully God and fully man. And he stood as, as that connection point between two worlds that were at war. He brought us, he lifts us up to the Father and 
brings the Father down simultaneously to us. And the true, <laughs> the true connection to heaven is through Jesus. There's no other way. He's the only door. He's the only way. He's the only name. Ephesians 2, 14 uh, through 18 says, He himself is our peace. Listen to this, because I know, you know, there's wars within the world, but probably in if we were to scan the whole of human existence, the biggest divide there's ever been, spiritually speaking, is between Jew and Gentile. Okay. He himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, Jews and Gentiles, one, and he's destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside, listen to this, setting aside in his flesh, crucifixion, performs this, setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. How does this work? Is there, is there still Jewish and Gentile as categories? Yeah. But in terms of the people of God, there's one people of God. He's created out of the two one new humanity, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God, through the cross by which he put to death their hostility, he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. The far away is the Gentile, those who live in Alaska, and those who are near would be those who were there, the Jewish uh, people surrounding him. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So he reconciled. The cross defines us as reconciled. The primary problem with humanity is that sin separates in re- in terms of relationship. And this happens in interpersonal relationships too, but every sin that we commit, even if it's against another person, is also a sin against God. Do you know that? So if you talk bad about somebody else, as you've done to the least of these, you've done it to me. Right? Jesus said to the guy laying on the mat, I forgive you. And the Phar- Pharisees and religious leaders blew up like, Who are you to forgive sins? Well, he's the son of God. And so the the major problem, this occurred to me uh, a while back. It's not new with me, obviously, but um, it occurred to me a while back that one of the major, the major thing that the, the cross accomplishes is restoring a broken relationship between God and humanity. Okay. We don't know God, we don't live close to God, we don't love God, and the cross has come to reconcile that broken relationship. We've rebelled against him, and he came to restore relationship with himself so that we could know God, so we could know him, not just for now, but for eternity. This is a reconciliation. Colossians 1.20 says, through him, came through him to reconcile uh, to himself all things, whether things on heaven or on earth, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The cross defines us as reconciled. Finally, aren't you glad? The cross defines us as renewed. Okay, This is really good news. And some uh, people want to leave this out in their understanding of Christianity as if there's just a moment in time when you just start living a little bit differently and there's no supernatural moment of being born again. But that's not true to the biblical text, is it? When you come to Christ, something supernatural takes place, right? That the old nature is being crucified in in Christ's death, and a newness of life is being given to us. We're born again. A supernatural element has changed in our life. The nature of God has come into us, and the life of God has come into us. In the past, we had... Uh, there's a couple Greek words for life in the New Testament. One of them is bios, bios, uh, and it means like the subsequent events that happen in a person's life, like existence, like day after day, the mundane, eating and sleeping and going to work and getting up and doing it all over again, the stuff that drives people mad. Okay, and there's nothing wrong with those things, but there is something missing when it's only bios. Because what we need is Zoe. Okay, Zoe is the spiritual life. When, he, when Jesus says that he's going to give us life and life abundantly, he's giving us supernatural life inside of us. 
Something has changed. We're no longer dead in our transgressions and sin. We've been made alive with Christ. When we come to faith, the life of God comes into us. The Spirit of God lives in us. We've been quickened. If he who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he'll also quicken. Remember old King James there? Give life to your mortal bodies by a spirit who dwells in you. So life comes in. It changes things. We are renewed. Sins are taken away as a fact of the cross, but we are renewed in the sense that he cleanses us and gives us newness of life. First Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. Now, Matthew, it's interesting because, you know, the, in Isaiah 53, the verse that talks about by his stripes we're healed. And we like to, especially in the Pentecostal tradition, we want to talk about physical healing. And that's in that because Matthew uses it that way in chapter 1, I think verse 21, something like that. He talks about this very verse. He quotes it in terms of physical healings. Okay? But when Peter uses it, he's talking about much more than that. He's talking about a spiritual healing that takes place in which what was broken has been fixed because of the cross. This is a broad and rich salvation we have. So when we talk about being renewed, and he says that uh, by his wounds we've been healed, he's talking about that, that old principle of death that dwelt in us. We now can have life. You see, there's both death and life in this verse. And this seems to me more than just being declared just, which I think is awesome that God declares us just. This is the promise of a practical goodness that can be worked out in our life through dying to self and living to God. And once again, this principle emerges, and I think it's really important, is that the reason many people can't live in the newness of life is they're not dying to self. We're not dying to ourselves. We're just thinking that the old guy can just live on and on and that somehow God's going to redeem that and bring it all up into his nature. Well, that doesn't happen except by the principle of a death. Jesus said this, remember? If anyone wants to be my disciple, they must deny themselves and take up their cross. And if you read it in Luke, he adds another word, daily, and follow me. Daily, and follow me. And so there's a death that has to be died. And in that death, there's a glorious resurrection. Okay, Not just in the future, but now, we can live the life of God right now. A practical goodness can come out of our life. The cross has everything to do with how we see ourselves in the world. You can't live the new life without dying to ourselves. Galatians 2.20 says it this way. Paul uh, says, I'm crucified with Christ. Okay, Death, right? Nevertheless, I live life. Not I, but Christ lives in me. And it's telling us the flavor of the new life. Is, is very much like Christ's life, okay? It's putting on Christ. It's living in Christ. It's letting him live through us. And so that the life we live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God who loves us and who gave himself for us. Galatians 2.20, this is a, a way that we can be renewed. We call it regeneration in theological terms, that we've, we've died and we've regenerated. <laughs> Anybody... Um, see a chameleon. One of the things that you get fascinated with, with when you're a kid are chameleons, the little lizards. Anybody ever see one of them get their tail cut off? Do you know what happens? It, re- it grows back. It regenerates new life where there was death. And I, I know that's a silly illustration, but I, I want you to understand that where there's death, there is now is life because of what Jesus has done. Okay, so these things define us as Christians, that we are, we are guilty, we were guilty, we're justified, we're liberated, we're reconciled, and we're renewed. If you ever, well, maybe I should say it this way, how you answer the question, who am I, matters. In today's thinking, people resist definition at least from the outside. Nobody tells me who I am. I decide for myself who I am. 
They think, I'm the only one who has the right to define myself. And we're seeing people pay the price for being disconnected from outside definition. We're not defined by our bodies. We're not defined by whatever, what family we're from or whatever. We don't, we don't let anybody else define us. But let me suggest to you that that's caused a lot of people uh, path- to, to follow those pathologies, a lot of confusion and heartache and hurt. Many people who are trusting in Christ, in a similar way, they're not embracing the significance of the cross. And the cross has the right to define us more than how we feel, more than what we've thought about ourselves in the past, more than our even sanctified Christian thinking. I said Wednesday night that we need to let the Bible um, define who we are. We need to come again and again to the Word of God. And I think it's important that we understand we, the Bible describes for us better who we are than what we think of ourselves. Okay, so we come to it again and again and hear these things. But a lot of Christians aren't embracing all that the cross offers. They define themselves by personality tests and culture, class, in some psychological categories, political affiliation, citizenship, and many other categories. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Christ and Him crucified. Do you remember that? He said that to the Corinthians. What, what does that mean? Does that mean he doesn't preach anything in terms of sanctification? No, he, it, it means that I think he was dodging all of the stratification and he was beginning to point to the most important definition that anyone can have for their life. It's not what class you're in, how educated you are, all of those things. What defines us most, primarily, eternally, is the cross. Where do you stand regarding the cross? If you're trusting in Christ, these five things are true of you. They define you. The cross says more about you than your nationality, your language, your culture, your skin. And I'm not saying those things don't matter, but this is our health spiritually and emotionally. It tells us who we are and who we should be. Every other definition is secondary. Come on, amen to that? Let's say it from our heart because we understand this. All those other things are secondary. They might be important. Secondary. Primary is what Christ has said of us through the cross. It tells us who we are and who we should be. There's more to this that we can't get to this morning because some of this has to do with how we're sanctified because the cross tells us about how we live the sanctified life. Second Corinthians is big on this, is that the world comes puffing its shoulders out and declaring how strong it is. And Paul says, I can be weak and be strong in Christ. Okay, It's a, it's a different way of living life. It's counterintuitive. It's cruciform, the life in Christ that we're called to live. But all those other definitions are secondary. The way the cross defines you, that's eternal. So we need to find and agree with what the cross says about us. Hey, thanks for your attention this morning. Why don't we stand together? Why don't we bow our heads for a moment? And there might be one of these areas that we talked about this morning that you're recognizing, man, I'm not living in light of the cross. It may be true today that there's somebody here that you're not you're not living in light of the cross at all. You've not you've not come to the cross and bowed your knee and said to God, I'm sorry for being a rebel. Forgive me and this is your world. My life is given to you. My life is not my own, it belongs to you. That's uh that's dying to self and living to God. And I hope you won't get tired of me saying this, but you've never known yourself until you've known yourself in Jesus. You've never known yourself until you've said yes to Jesus. My life changed. I found out new things about myself when I said yes to Jesus and stopped looking so much at self. That he turned the light on. He 
started to make me into the person that I was created to be. See, God created you, and he created you to be a certain kind of person, but you can't do that as a rebel. You can never achieve that. You can never, you can never realize your true self apart from God. And so today, let me urge you, if you've never said yes to Jesus, if you've never knelt before the cross of Christ, it's a figurative way of saying repenting of our old life and turning to him in faith and trusting him for new life. If you've never done that, would you say to the Lord today, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, for Jesus' sake. Christ died for our sins and he rose again. He's paid the price. He's covered your sins. You don't have to bear those anymore. You can live in a newness of life today. Just pray that simple prayer. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, for Jesus' sake. Trust in him. And I'd love to talk to you about that. And We can talk about what's next. Maybe for others, you're, you're realizing that your identity has been wrapped up in other things. Maybe things that have become idols to you, your job, a relationship, some kind of status that you have, money. Would you, if you're trusting in Christ, would you be willing to lay down those kinds of idols and say to the Lord, not, not, I'm not saying you need to quit your job or empty your bank account or anything like that. I'm saying, would you say to the Lord, today I want to put my confidence in you in such a way that you define who I am, not me anymore. It's a type of surrender. You're surrendering your mindset. You're surrendering your self-perception. Jesus gets to define that. You'll find it all through Scripture that people who truly come to confess Christ as Lord and, and God as their King will say things like David did, your judgments concerning me are right. I agree with you. I changed my mind to agree with you. Would you do that today? Amen. The cross is shorthand for all that Christ has accomplished for us, his death, burial, and resurrection, what that means for you and me. Let's embrace it. Let's never let it be cheapened. It's never a trinket. It's never something that we just wear around our neck. We may have those symbols, but the meaning is deep and rich. Let's never forget it's all about Jesus. Amen? And your love today, and I know the proof is in the cross. Amen? Father, thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us, all that you've said about us in the cross of Jesus. And, Lord, we pray that we'll embrace your truth, not live by our truth. Embrace your truth in Jesus' name. Help us to live it out. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If this ministry has impacted you, we would love to hear about it. You're welcome to message us at akmaranatha.com forward slash contact or message us on Facebook at Maranatha Full Gospel Fellowship. We pray you are blessed by the message and have a wonderful week.